Good morning. Good morning. As we turn our t attention to God's word this morning, we seek to receive it with joy-filled reverence and sober humility. The summons to the word found in your bulletin prepares our hearts and minds to do that. Let's read it together. Considerly, how careful, consider carefully how you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. This morning's scripture reading is taken from Luke chapter 22, verses 7 through 34. Again, the text is Luke 22, verses 7 through 34. Hear now the word of the Lord. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it, they asked. He replied, As you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, The teacher asks, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished. Make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them, so they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed. But woe to that man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves it? It is not the one, is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you a kingdom, just as my father conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. Thank you. 
Thank you so much, Kathy. I apologize for that. We didn't set you up for success this morning. That's, I take full responsibility for that. Listen, before we actually uh, take a few minutes uh, talking about the Lord, let's uh, talk to him. Let's bow our heads in prayer together. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our Lord, our rock, and our redeemer. Send your spirit, spirit of the living God, fall afresh upon us. Conform us to the likeness of your son, for we pray in his mighty and merciful name. Amen. Well, let's see, this morning, as you know, we are part of a series, and I should say, if, if you are uh, with us, if you were not with us this past week and are with us this week, you may wonder why I'm wearing a hat out of a procedure done about a week and a half ago, and uh, it's better that I have a hat on than that I don't have a hat on, put it that way. So just please, I mean, no disrespect, but I just want to mention that. Um, before we actually jump into the sermon today, I want to do something actually very unusual. I'm going to do a complete timeout. And, and I know I'm going to step perhaps on some toes, uh, but I believe it's, uh, it's necessary. In fact, this is the first time I've ever done this since I think the two, two and a half years I've been here. But um, in fact, let me just preface it by saying this past week at our leadership meeting on Tuesday evening, we met by Zoom. And, uh, and one of the things that we were discussing is the way in which Scripture doesn't see every issue, theological, social, political, as of equal importance. That is to say, there are some things that we are absolutely, unequivocally, unreservedly called to die for. We are to proclaim our allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to believe that he is raised from the dead, that he is reigning at the Father's right hand. There is no negotiating. We are to be ready to die for that. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. We are to prepare to die for that. But beyond that circle of small things, of very fundamental, first important things, there's another circle of things that we're not willing to die for, but we're willing to divide over. Things that truly separate, things that have to do with something like this, the Lord's Supper. That it's of such importance that it's really elementary to our faith that we would be willing to part ways with someone that we would die with them, but we're going to divide with them because these are matters of, of such substantial importance. They're matters that really have to do with the things like the creeds, Things are things of an importance that really, that again, are elemental to the faith. But then beyond those two very small circles of things that we would die for, things that we would divide over, are things that we discuss. And that circle is a very big, a very big circle. And it's important to understand that in those things that we discuss, it's not to suggest that somehow that we are, that they're just unimportant, that they're just tertiary. They're still important, but they're not going to divide us. And there are things that I said, it's a wide circle because we're not going to avoid discussing them. They'll be discussed from this pulpit. They'll be talked about. And they're for you to, to consider, take home, and to pray over, to think about, to compare with Scripture, and to say, hey, is what Bruce is saying, is what the leadership saying from the pulpit, is that really what God's Word says? And I just want to take a moment, very briefly. This, this past week, the U.S. Senator Kamala Harris was selected as the presumptive candidate for vice president on the Democratic ticket. Listen, gang, I would ask you, before you vote this fall, and I would want to encourage you to be a responsible citizen and to vote, before you do, please examine her views on abortion. They are extreme. They're extreme. And I don't need to go into the details right now, but it's extreme. 
And given the, the given again, this is not to presume the worst of anything. It is simply to say what what is the dominant voice, common really the common consensus uh, in our news media, and, and really just I think on all sides is that the president that, that uh, the, the the presidential Democratic presidential candidate uh, uh, Biden Joe Biden would probably most likely be a one-term president, if that. Now, and the possibility then of the vice president ascending into the presidency is significant. So again, I'm not here to say what's going to happen. I'm not asking you. This is, this is emphatically not. It's important you hear me say this is emphatically not a statement of being pro-Trump. It is simply asking you to consider a matter of great concern, a matter of justice in our day. There are two great evils that America is to be known for. Slavery and abortion. So with that, I want to I just ask that you would consider that. In fact, I'm going to pray, and then we'll move, I'm going to pray again, and then we'll move into our, uh, our to consider our, our text this morning. Bow your head with me. Heavenly Father, um, Lord, we are no better than anyone else. We don't know why that you have summoned us. We don't know why you have poured your grace upon us. We don't know why you've forgiven us. Father, we're no better than anyone else, Republican or Democrat, Young or old, black or white, Father, we are no better than our predecessors. We are no better than those who will come after us. And yet, Father, you have called us by your grace to live lives of justice. As you've said to the prophet Micah, you've called us to do justice, to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before you. Father, I pray that the church would be a humble, weeping, welcoming voice, prophetic voice, defending the voiceless, defending the fatherless, defending the widow, the foreigner, Father, defending the elderly and defending the unborn. Lord God, I pray this morning, we are all in different places in our journey, and there are indeed things that we would die for. Give us the strength to die for them. Father, there are things that we should divide over. Help us to know what those are. Help us to be discerning, to be humble. Father, help us lovingly, graciously, tenderly in in a world marked by polarization, in 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 a world, in a culture marked where we are persons who will so quickly unfriend someone because we don't agree with them. So ready to dismiss and so to be so convinced that we are right. Father, humble us. Free us to speak gently, humbly, provisionally, listening, asking questions. Father, make your church a place where it's safe to talk about everything, safe to ask any question, safe to disagree, safe and even so encouraged to study your word together and to love each other, to pray together, to seek your truth. Father, what Jesus has said, that he is the truth, that he is the way, that he is the life. And if we seek his truth, we know his truth, the truth will set us free. We seek that freedom. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the scripture, the uh, the sermon series that we've been going through is, um, is called Redeeming the Routine. We found that in scripture, listen to this, in scripture, we find that so often the mundane is given great meaning. In fact, Scripture transforms the routine into ritual 
Why is that? Because scripture so often uses our daily, the things that we do every day. It takes those simple routine things and it infuses them with incredible meaning, with spiritual meaning, with ways of communicating truths that matter, that are very fundamental to our faith. For example, we saw from Romans 13 that when we wake up in the morning, that actually there's something going on. There's just not somehow lights giving way to darkness. There's actually some beautiful metaphor that we see from Scripture, that darkness is in fact giving way to light, that redemptive history is a story in which the darkness will one, one day give way to an eternal day of justice and peace and righteousness and love. And so when we wake up in the morning, as we saw from Revelation, from Romans 13, we are to say, keep on loving. I'm going to keep on loving. As, no matter how I feel, no matter how lonely I may be, no matter how hurting, how rejected, how confused, I'm going to keep on loving. Why? Because the light is coming. Wake up every morning saying, yes, I'm going to keep on loving. Because the light is coming. Last week, in fact, we saw... And that we saw in a similar fashion, we looked at, uh, what, see, what text was it? We looked at John chapter 3, and we saw we talked about the idea of breathing, something we do literally hundreds, thousands of times every day, this idea of breathing. We saw that life is a gift, not a given. Life is a gift. Our Father imparts both physical life, but also spiritual life. He does it at his will, at his choosing. The wind blows where it pleases. We, we feel it. We, we can't control it. Spirit blows and he gives life. So every moment, every day, we're we breathing, we stop. We're in the car, we're breathing, we're at home, we're breathing, we stop and we think, life is a gift. Someday I will stop breathing. And I'll be called home. Life is a gift, not a given, and then it's gone. It goes so quick. And today I want to talk about simply something very simple as well. I'm going to talk about eating. And I want to, the Bible talks a lot about food. I mean a lot about food. You can see it. So it's amazing how just from more often than not, from Genesis 3 onward, this notion of food is a very important idea that our first parents supposedly fell. They, they ate the wrong food, if you will. It's amazing how all through scripture, we see, even in the gospels, we see Jesus going from meal to meal to meal. That food is everywhere. And this morning, I want to give you some food for thought. And he's the text that Kathy read for us. And I want to, I want, because my goal is for food when you sit down at breakfast, lunch, or dinner, is when you stop to pray, to be reminded that food actually reminds us of the following things. First, it reminds us that God provides for us, that God provides for us, that we are dependent. First, that he provides for us. Look through these first uh, six or seven verses, starting in verse seven. Look there in verse, um, in verse eight, Jesus says, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. It is the night, is the night of his betrayal, the night before he will be crucified. This is the culmination of really everything that they've, they've been working toward. Jesus has made his journey from Nazareth in the north for his last time to come along with all the pilgrims to celebrate the Passover meal. And in verse 8 again, he says, go and make preparations. First, eat the Passover. In verse 9, I love this, verse 9. They're like, well, where do you want us to prepare for it? They're like, how's this going to work? Where is this coming from? And it's in verses 10 through 12 that Jesus explains this. He communicates this unexpected plan of how it's all going to go down. They're like, well, where is this coming from? How are we going to do this? 
All, all of us, so many people. And think, if you think of it this way, uh, in, in, uh, during the Passover, Jerusalem would swell. Listen to this. Some historians think it would swell somewhere between six to eight times its size. Imagine that happening to St. Louis. Suddenly six or eight times the number of people just, just come in. Every hotel's booked. I mean, people are campers everywhere. That's what it was like. In fact, Jesus didn't even stay in Jerusalem. He actually stayed out, out, you know, out in the surrounding areas in Bethany. Why? Because there was no place. There's, there's literally no place to stay. So how is it he just said, hey, look, you go and prepare a Passover meal for like, I don't know, 12 of us. Find a table for 12. So what do you mean it's all booked up? And he's like, well, let me explain it to you. You're like, where is this all going to come from? And Jesus, listen to this, Jesus actually knows what he's doing. He's going to provide. He actually, he's actually thought it through. We see that in verses 10 through 12. He explains. And then in verse 13 we read, they left and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. See, when it comes to food, we realize this food is a sign that he provides for us. He's going to provide us and take care of us. We are dependent, and he is going to provide for us. You know, in life, we're always asking, where is that going to come from? <laughs> right? How's that going to work? How's that going to happen? We're always wondering, we're always doubting about you. We're always doubting his provision. And our food is this wonderful reminder that he can provide, that he will provide. I want to use, just let me give you one example. If you have a Bible, turn to Numbers chapter 11. I'm going to steal this here. To Numbers chapter 11. It's amazing to see here how he provides for his people. This is a story, a well-known story within the context of the Old Testament. God's people are in the wilderness and uh, they, in a place of really of a complete absence of provision. And here we see in chapter 11, starting in verse 4, uh, listen, listen in this story, I want you to listen to three different voices. First, I want you to listen to the people of God. Hear the people, verses, uh, verses 4 through 6. It says, now the rabble with them began to crave other food. They're out in the wilderness. They're getting manna, but that's about it. Right? You ever have, you know, like, like they're having leftovers. Think of it that way. For like the 30th, 40th, 50th time, they're having leftovers. And the rabble with them began to crave other food. And, and again, the Israelites started wailing, and they said, if only we had meat to eat. Now listen to this. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Egypt was awesome, wasn't it? It was just amazing. We ate fish uh, in Egypt at no cost. Also, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks. I didn't know what leeks were. Sarah had to explain them to me. She's like, actually, we've had them. And I said, oh, great. So leeks, onions, and garlic, verse 6. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. Isn't that great? Where's, you know, it's just, this is, look at this. This is not sufficient. This is not what I need. He's not providing for me. I don't like what's on the menu. So that's the, that's the, first we listen to the people of God. Now listen to Moses. Look in verse 11. This is so interesting. Verse 11, Moses was troubled. He says, he asked the Lord, why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What are you doing to me here? 
What have I done to displease you? Displease you that you put the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth? Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to the land you promised on oath to their ancestors? Where can I get meat for all these people? They keep wailing to me, give us meat to eat. Now look at verses 21 and 22. He continued, Moses said, Here I am among 600,000 men on foot, and you say, I will give them meat to eat for a whole month. Would they, have enough, would they have enough if flocks and herds were slaughtered for them? Would they have enough if all the fish in the sea were caught for them? So the people are complaining. Moses is like, what are you doing to me? You're killing me. In fact, he literally said that. We didn't read that part, but he actually says, this is how it's going to go. Just kill me now. Right? Somebody please shoot me. So Moses says, now look at what the Lord says in verse 23. The Lord answered Moses, is the Lord's arm too short? What a great question. Is the Lord's arm too short? Now you will see whether or not what I say will come true for you. See, he provides. He provides. And what I want us to see is that how many times, I don't know about you, but how many times have I thought, where is this going to come from? How is this all going to work out? And then God provides, and I go on my way without even giving him any credit whatsoever. It's amazing. I complain, I whine, he provides, I don't even give thanks. Let's repent of our entitlement, of our thanklessness. We stop, we eat, we give thanks for his provision. We give thanks for the ways that he's provided without even realizing it. We give thanks for the ways that, in fact, he will provide, even though we can't see it. See, when we eat, we just stop and ask ourselves this question. Where am I questioning his provision? Where am I complaining? Where am I saying, there's just no, there is just no way this is going to work out. And then we're to ask ourselves, is the Lord's arm too short? If you don't remember anything else this morning, I want you to remember that question. Is the Lord's arm too short? It's in the evening at the Clark, house, in the Clark household around 6 p.m. In the evening, we, we hear these words, we're eating. And the kiddos and I, we all show up at the table and there's food that's just magically appeared on the table. It's amazing. Right? Well, how did it get there? Someone has been intentional. Someone's planned. Someone's actually thought through meals. Someone's gone to the grocery store. Someone's prepared it. I mean, she made it ready at 6 p.m. I don't know how she does that, like every night at 6 p.m. And again, this is, not, this is the way the Clark household is. This is not prescriptive. I'm not telling you all. This is not whatever. This is just about what we do in our households, how it goes. That's how we roll in the Clark household. So it's not prescriptive. I'm just saying it's an amazing thing that we see, and we see God's provision. We see that he cares for us. So when we eat, we are reminded first that he provides. The second thing that we're reminded reminded is that he pursues us. First, he provides for us. But second, he pursues us. Not only are we dependent, but we are desired. Isn't that amazing? When we go to eat, we're reminded that we are desired. Look at verses 14 and 15. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. 
And if you see what follows, you're like, are you kidding me? We'll get into that in a second. But Jesus actually wants to have a meal with these particular disciples. These boneheaded, stubborn, selfish, silly disciples. I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Listen to this. He pursues us. Now, this is important. He pursues us even when we are pathetic. He desires us even when we are disobedient. Look at, it. Look at verse 24. There's pride, there's serious amounts of pride going on here. Verse 24, they're at the dinner. Jesus says, I just long to be with you guys. And then what happens? A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered the greatest. Now, how awkward would that be? Well, you know, I, I hear what you're saying, but actually I think, I think I'm better. I think I'm actually greater. I'm, I'm more important. I'm kind of a big deal. Right? And they're arguing about who which one of them is the greatest. And what's amazing in Luke's gospel, this is not actually the first time it's happened. This is the second time they've argued about which of them is the greatest. So he wants us, he pursues us not only in our pride, but look at verse 31 and 30 through 33. He pursues us in our pretense. This is an amazing thing. It's just the idea that, that we see that, 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 that Jesus calls them. He actually says to them, let me read it here, verse 31. He says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Verse 33. But Peter replied, Lord, I am ready. I got this. I am so ready. I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. I am so committed. You have no idea how committed I am to you. Jesus knew that Peter was going to say that. He knew that Peter was going to fail. He, he, had, he knew that Peter's, and all of, of course, all of them, they, they join in. Oh, not me, you know, we're all, going to, we're all on board, etc. And Jesus knows, he knows that they don't even begin to know their own pretense. They pretend to be committed and they're not. And Jesus pursues them all the while knowing that. So Jesus we see that as we eat our food that he provides for us, but also in this meal that he actually wants to eat with us. Sometimes we're eating alone, we think, man, I'm here by myself. No, there's one who wants to pursue you, one who would at a moment's notice sit down and eat with you. He is the one who ate with sinners and tax collectors. He pursues us in our pride. He pursues us in our pretense. In fact, we'll hear it this morning. I want you, especially your kids, listen for this. As we turn to the Lord's table in a moment, we're going to hear in our Lord's Supper liturgy, we're going to hear, it begins with a prayer, and that prayer starts this way. In your infinite love, you made us for yourself. Why did God make you? For himself. He's like, I want to make, I want to make Bruce for me. Isn't that crazy? I want to make Ron for me. He made you for himself. He loves you. He wants you. He wants to commune with you. So first, he provides for a second. Uh, he, um, second, he, uh, he pursues us. And third, he plans for us. We're dependent on him. Okay, we're desired. We're dependent. We're desired. But we're listening to this. We're not in the driver's seat. He, he plans for us. 
That is, he plans the menu for our lives. This is very important. Look in the very, the very final verse here. We see a plan that is actually very difficult. Verse 34, Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows the day, you will deny me three times. You will deny three times that you know me. Jesus has our life planned out. He has rough spots planned for us. He knows that we're going to disobey. He knows we're going to fail. He's okay with that. He's prayed for us. We'll turn back. He's not going to leave us or forsake us, but he plans our lives. And he brings not only failure, but he brings hardship to our lives. He plans the meal. He decides the menu. We don't get to decide. You know, in, our, in the Clark household, we have this regular thing where, uh, where our kids, around, I don't know, 3 or 4 o'clock, they're starting to get hungry, and so they'll ask Mom, what's for dinner? Mom, what's for dinner? And t- almost always she will say, food. Because so often behind that question is what? There's a sense of evaluation. I want to know what's on the menu and see if I'm going to like it or not. And I did that all the time as a kid. I'm not dissing my kids. I, I, the time, in fact, as a kid, I had this natural, I, I love store-bought food. I love store-bought food, especially junk food, way more than a nice home-cooked meal. Isn't that just crazy? It's just so bizarre. Here's the thing, gang. In the kingdom of God, at the table of our Father, we don't get to choose what's for dinner. Do you know why? Because he knows what's best. He does. He knows what will nourish us. And listen to this. Obedience, his plan, is an acquired taste. All really good food, gourmet food, if you have good wines, bourbons, scotch, it's an acquired taste. It requires that your palate be developed to a place where you're actually able to realize this is really good food. I once discipled a, a man who was in his uh, early 30s. Uh, he was in, uh, in investments and finances. And the guy, listen, I kid you not, the guy would eat pizza or hamburgers. That was it. That is all the guy ever ate. We meet, and he would either it was either pizza or hamburgers. That was it. That was like that was his thing. He was. Uh, you can imagine what kind of shape he was in. Because those were the, apparently those were the only good foods that were out there. And he sat there, and the point isn't like, oh, that's unhealthy or that's whatever. The point is, he is missing out on so much. Do you know how much good food there is out there besides burgers and pizza? And often our father, in this wonderful way, this very wonderful way, push it, put something on our plate that we're like, ugh. He's like, give it a chance. I'm like, no. He's like, yes. And we've all been there, that parent-child struggle. You need to eat this. You need to eat this. Bruce, eat your food. No. Ah, right, and this, this, this exchange, this power struggle takes place. And the question is, am I going to eat what he has put on my menu? Now, the other day, something happened this past week, which was really providential. I heard my daughter, one of my daughters, I won't, I won't uh, say which one, one of my teenage daughters, she, she called her mother on the phone. Her mother was at, at, the, the, at the grocery store. And she, I hear this, this is mom, 
can you please get some avocados? Like lots of avocados. And she says, can you also get some tomatoes, some cucumbers, some celery, some bell peppers, really any kind of vegetables. There was one that she did a couple she couldn't, didn't want because of her braces. But please get lots of avocados. And I'm sitting there thinking like, as a teenager, I didn't want any of that stuff. How in the world did my daughter acquire an appetite for vegetables, for avocados? How do you explain that? Well, listen, she had a mom who raised them on good food. And are you ready? Forced them to eat it. And we have a Heavenly Father who often places good things, good things in our lives that we don't yet have an appetite for. And I want to encourage you to stop and say, what are the things in my life that I just simply don't like, that I don't want, that are hard? And is it possible that behind that is nutrition, is spiritual life, is actually something that is really, truly a blessing, really, truly good for you? He's not being capricious. He's not being incompetent. He knows what we need. And it's not to say that it's easy. It's not to say that it's even fun, but that actually there is real blessing there. And to take it, to, to take it up off our plate and to say, okay, I'll give it a try. And at first, the first four or five bites, the first three or four meals, the first five or six times you actually have it, it's still like, you're trying not to, you know, you're sort of forcing it down. But in time, what's so beautiful is that our appetite changes. Brothers and sisters, obedience is an acquired taste. His plan really is better. I won't share the story, but I've shared with you several times, I think, the illustration of my journey with mushrooms. Now, as a child, I couldn't stand mushrooms. They were the worst thing possibly in the world. The texture, the taste, everything about mushrooms was awful. And a transformation took place in my life over a series of 20 years to a point where I was at a meal with, uh, with my then fiance, Sarah, and uh, had an incredible, these, um, what, are those, what, are those, uh, what are those really large uh, mushrooms called? Thank you. My portobello, duh. Portobello mushrooms. And they were like just cooked like perfection. It was amazing. I think, oh, I love mushrooms. Look at me. I'm so cool. I love mushrooms. Right? But God slowly changes our appetites as we are willing to, to actually try them. We are to repent this morning of thinking that we know, of thinking that we are the nutritional experts, that we know what we need. Listen to this. In love, God, our Father, forces us to eat what's on our plate. So let's recap. When we eat, we're to be reminded, first, that he provides for us. Second, that he pursues us. And third, that he plans for us. Let me conclude with this as we turn to the Lord's table. What was on Jesus' menu? What was God's plan for Jesus? What was his lot in life? You know, in the Old Testament, and actually in the biblical world, in the, in the ancient world, one's lot in life was symbolized by the idea of a cup. The idea of a cup. Like, this is, this is your, and I, or a cup, you can translate a bowl. And the idea is that this is your portion. This is what you get. You're at the table, and you're waiting for your food. Your food to come, and this is, this is it. And so, for example, we see this in Luke 22. So a few verses later, in the Garden of Gethsemane, we hear Jesus say, if you are willing, What? Take this, this cup from me. He's saying, I don't want this to be my lot. I don't want this to be the way that it goes down. I don't want this portion. This is not what's for me. 
If you are willing, take this cup from me. Now, today I want you to stop. Just all of us that are here this morning, there's something where we're saying, take this cup from me. And then Jesus himself is saying, after that, what? Yet not my will, but your will be done. Your plan be done. And brothers and sisters, let me ask a question. If he drank his cup, Will we not drink our own? And we're about to eat a meal now. In return, we're going to pray. We're about to eat a meal that speaks all of these things. He has provided. He is pursuing us. He has a plan for us. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Holy and gracious Father, in your infinite love, You made us for yourself. And when we had fallen into sin and become subject to evil and to death, you, in your mercy, sent Jesus Christ, your only and eternal Son, to share our human nature, to live and die as one of us, to enter into the miseries of this world and all its temptations, to be rejected in order to reconcile us to you. Father, we recall, we recall how he stretched out his arms upon the cross and offered himself in obedience to your will, in obedience to your plan, as a perfect sacrifice for the whole world. And Father, it is his death that we now proclaim. And it is in his glorious name that we pray. Amen. Brothers and sisters,